We're in the book of Acts, chapter 13 today. Get there and then get my lapel mic going. We're going to move on. We, we spent, um, I want to say, three or four weeks in one particular passage looking at various truths in that large passage. Um, we're going to move on. We're, we are in Acts 13, 42 to 52, which is a large passage as well. Okay, let's see where we are. What did I say? 32. Well, you know what? I'll read verse 30, since it's encouraging. Acts 13, verse 30. These are the words of our holy and perfect God. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that Christ has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, As it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he spoke of it in this way, I will give you the holy and the sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was laid among his fathers, he underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through him the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken by the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will not believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. But when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began contradicting the things spoken by Paul, and they were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout men, women of prominence, and the leading men of the city. They instituted a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, what an amazing God you are. Beside you there is no other. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is your day, the Christian Sabbath, O God. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And you have determined, Lord, to feed your people, both on your word and your sacraments. And we are here for the word. I pray for myself, that you would grant me, Holy Spirit, the ability to rightly divide this word, that the the words of my lips, Lord God, would be true according to your scripture. Even my tenor, my demeanor, my tone, everything would be 
pleasing to you and beneficial to your people and for all of us, Lord. Give us open hearts, open minds to receive your word that we would desire to hear from heaven and to be radically changed into your holy image, Jesus Christ, that we would be increasingly fit instruments in your divine hand, uh, laboring and being busy about your business in the time in which you've allotted us to live, longing for the day that you come back, Lord God. Eternal life, what an amazing thing. Salvation, amazing. Cause us to be your adoring children and servants that the world would know we serve a mighty good God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's kind of the way that I look at a passage. So when I come to a particular section, I'm looking for certain um, main themes, main doctrines, main truths. And maybe in a passage I'll find one, maybe in a passage I'll find more than one, two, three, and then I'll try to take those um, in separate sermons. Um, and so it's, it's no different with this. There are a number of sermons that you could rightly get out of this passage. I'm not quite sure if I'll return to it. Um, but I have a main, a main purpose for, for this one. So if I don't hit the doctrine that you're finding in this passage, I, I hope to show you that what I aim to preach is here. And if I'm not preaching your favorite passage, um, and I will just tell you in a Presbyterian Reformed Church, I'm supposed to preach um, um, verse, uh, what is it, uh, 38... Uh, uh, no, verse 48 is the passage I'm supposed to spend the next five weeks on. Um, I'll mention that, but I'm not, my purpose is not to unpack the doctrine of election or predestination, though I will mention it. What I want to see mainly is what I've mentioned in the passage here. So not only do I look for a doctrine to kind of go at that, I, my general methodology is to first look from a macro, macro view, a bird's eye view, to get a big idea of what's going on in the picture. And then I try to descend down and then unpack it in a micro view. And maybe the micro can be too micro, too Puritan-esque, but if I could be an English Puritan, I would pay money for that. So I I would not apologize for that. But that's the plan. So big view, small view. And so the big view, the the main thing going on that I want us to see is that according to the wise government of God, which is the providence of God, the sovereign providence of God. He governs everything that he made, and he made everything. According to the divine government of God, he has his gospel go to the Jews about the Lord Jesus. And so for me, according to the Bible, um, the gospel is, in summary, the message of the cross. The apostle Peter, Paul excuse me, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he wants to preach the cross. The preaching of the cross is a metonym, a figure of speech, for the sum of the gospel, the good news that Christ dies for sinners, that we would be cleansed from our sins. That's a summary. And so the preaching of that goes from the Jews, and now in God's government, it's going to go to the Gentiles. And if you know your Bible, and we're going to reference the the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, you know just before the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Jesus says, go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So we're going to look at the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, what these Jesus' servants are preaching. We've said this probably so many times, you probably want to wring my neck. They're out there preaching Christ. There's lots of things in the Bible. There's things in the Bible about marriage, things in the Bible about government, things in the Bible about lots of things, how we treat even animals, that we should not, because we're God's stewards, we shouldn't even abuse animals. 
It's a picture of an ungodly man that abuses the lower creature. So if we are born again, we should be the best stewards. Lots in the Bible on that, those things. So, but the main thing that the preachers of Christ went out preaching is not a main thing. It's the main one. And, and so they're obviously tying those other things associated to Jesus Christ. I mentioned marriage. Why should we, our marriages as Christians look different? Because we're born again, and our marriage is to look like Christ. The husbands are to love the wives. Christ loves the church, and the wife is to submit as the bride submits. But, but it's, it's Christ. So the gospel goes from Jew to Gentile. And the, the macro view part that I want to see here is that in God's government, we see that the Jews, hearing the gospel, we'll unpack this a little bit, they're not very happy about the gospel going to the Gentiles. This won't be the last time in the book of Acts where they, they actually pitch a fit. So when one of the servants of Jesus says, that's it, we're out of here, we're going to talk to Gentiles, that's fighting words for these folks. They are not happy at all. And so we have the Jews are not happy that the gospel of the cross, the gospel of the good news of salvation, reconciliation to God, should go from them as a Jew to Gentiles. Now sometimes when I use the word Gentile, I take it for granted that everyone knows what a Gentile is. And it was, I think, just last year, uh, I was teaching something, and the girl said, what's a Gentile? Well, I was raised in a part of New England where we clearly knew you're gen- we're Gentiles. We were the Goyim. Im is plural. Goy is singer. We were the Goy. We were the nation. It means nations. This is ethnos in Greek. It's nation. A, a Gentile is a non-Jew. That's all it means. So the, the, the Jews were unhappy that Gentiles, non-Jews, were getting the gospel. I just want, I, want you to, I want you to think on that. I want you to think on that. It would be like one class of people that had the cure to cancer and being unhappy that that cure for cancer went to another class of people. And the reason they're unhappy is because that class of people was different than the other class of people, Right? That's kind of ugly, isn't it? That's kind of what's going on. And so they're going to pitch a fit, and they're going to try to stop the gospel from being successful among the Gentiles. The notion is, we are Jews, you are non-Jews, we are different than you are, your differences make you inferior to us, therefore we don't like you, therefore we don't want you to have the gospel. That's the macro view. That's what's going on. I want to touch on some of those things, even though those things... The subject is somewhat uncomfortable, and you probably know where I'm going to go, and, but I'm going to take a deep, deep breath anyways, and we're going to go there. So when we see these folks unhappy that Christ is being given to different kind of folks, what we learn is that the flesh of man, natural men, unconverted people, non-Christians, we make, we make a much, what was that? Much to do, <laughs> much to do. We make much to do about external differences or distinctions. That's natural man. So we, we are professing Christians. And as a professing Christian, we want to be not just a professing Christian, but we want to be a possessing Christian. We want to be born again. So as born again people, we are not natural men. We're supernatural men. First Corinthians chapter 2. We're, we're, we've been born again. Uh, John chapter 3, 1 through 9. So, so we're not the natural man. We are the graced man. We're not sowing to the, the flesh. We're sowing to the spirit. We've been born again. But the natural man, the unconverted man, man, they make, they make so much to do. They place so much importance on external differences. And what we're going to learn in a big view is, 
is I wrestled with the idea to use this word, which I, I just generally don't like using the word, but I'm going to use it because it's used in common speaking. I, I wrestled with the notion of whether to call this a, a form of a, a Jewish race versus the Gentile race, the racial distinctions. I myself hold different views on the idea of so-called race. You'll probably hear them in, in just a minute. But I'm going to use that term race, not to be inflammatory or to, 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 to do any of that. But because we use that word and those concepts, I'm going to use it. And hopefully as I unpack this business, again, looking at why the Jewish folks, they don't like the Gentile folks. They don't like the Gentile folks because they're Jewish folks. They're different. They look different. They sound different. They're different. So they would say different racially. So one of the things that we learn about natural man, um, not only do we make much to do about these distinctions, these particular distinctions are a way to demarcate people from other people. It's a way to make divisions. So when someone says, you look this way, you, you're, you're, you have this color skin or that color skin, this texture hair, this shape eyes, therefore you are of this racial group. That's a way that human beings make distinction, distinctions among human beings. And I'm going to say this. These particular distinctions or these markers that make these distinctions are given by man about other men. They're not given by God about man. What do you think about that? Men. Fallen men. And what is fallen man? Let me ask you this question, theological question. Is man, unconverted man, natural man, they pretty good, generally good folk? You know, you don't lock your door, and just generally good folk? No, they're not generally good folk. Read Romans chapter 3. You better lock your door, right? They're lions, tigers, and bears. That's what they are. So then essentially what you have is fallen man making distinctions about men. And the way that fallen men make distinctions about men is something like this. We're separate but equal. We're so equal, some animals are, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than what? Others. Ah, ah, separate but equal. We're so equal, we don't want to amalgamate anything because my equalness is better than your equalness. That's man. That's like a criminal writing the laws. So when we come to these distinctions, I don't like these folks. Why? Because they're different. Look at them. And I don't like them so much, I don't even want them to hear about Jesus. Man makes these distinctions. Not God. And man is a scallywag sinner. And scallywag sinners are making these distinctions. Ah, So we need to remember that. And as we consider this business... These distinctions are a way to divide people and to divide people against other people. And I want you to think, as a believer, think about that concept. They divide people from other people. They keep people divided. Think of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ says in John chapter 10, he says to the group, to the Jews, he says, I have other sheep. In what? And I'm going, to co- I'm going to go seek and save them, and I'm going to do what with them? I'm going to keep them in these little separate flocks. What does he say? One flock, one family, one kingdom, one Christ. That's what he says. We want to be Bible Christians. So we think, well, we're the church. These kind of things don't creep into the church. They were the church. 
The Jews were the church. This was their view. Separate but equal. But here's my used underwear. Separate but equal. That was the church. That was the church then. It could be the church now. We want to hold God's view. God's view. Jesus says, Revelation chapter 5, from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, under what? One Christ. One, one, one. So, these distinctions. And usually when people speak about race, is they will say something along the lines of that there will be some physical marker, some distinction, and then under which they'll categorize particular people. And usually those markers can be delineated, separated in, in some geographically separate area. Um, and usually the markers consist of what I just mentioned. You have this particular color skin, you have this particular texture hair, you have a uh, uh, round eyes or almond eyes, you have this particular shape in your eyes, and you live in this particular land. Um, the Asian race, the African race, the European race, the, the, these, these kind of things. So these, these physical markers on the things that I've just mentioned. And so very concerned about the outward part of man. Now, I, I, I want to ask you a question. As Bible-believing Christians, what does the Bible say? about these external distinctions. White skin, brown skin, round eyes, almond eyes. What does the Bible... Does the Bible say the greatest commandment in the Bible is to be concerned about a person's exterior? What is it? His interior. What's the greatest commandment in the Bible? Love God. What's the second... Love what? Your neighbor as yourself. And who's my neighbor? Whoever is standing next to you. Well, they have a different shape eyes. That's your neighbor. And so these particular markers, God looks at these things. And I'm just going to tell you, you may differ with me. I think you're wrong, clearly wrong. If you think God is really concerned with the color of a person's skin, boy, I feel bad for you. You remember he sends, is it Samuel? God says to Samuel, go pick, uh, go pick a king. So Samuel's going to go look to the boys of Jesse. Remember this? And so the first boys of Jesse walk by. Wow, boy, he's six foot three. He looks like, I mean, Saul. What, what, how did you pick Saul? I'm going to date myself. I'm from New England. Remember when Dukakis ran for president? Dukakis was like four foot six. I don't know what he was. And so Dukakis is four foot six. He puts on the, the helmet. He gets in the tank. His, he can barely see the top of the helmet. And people say, look at the guy, he's four foot six. He can't be a president. Why? Because he's four foot six. He doesn't look presidential. Everyone does this. And so Samuel goes and goes, Shazam, look at that kid. Boy, he's tall. Man, he's looking good. And what does God say? He says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance. Don't look at the height of his stature. Because I've rejected him. For God does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The Jews were busy looking at the outward, and they hated the people that differed with the outward. Beloved, if it could happen to them, it could happen to us. These things that we put a lot of stock in, God puts zilto, 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 nada, stock in. Nothing. 
It's nothing. What's the only distinction that matters before God? Is it the external? It's the heart. And when we talk about the heart, we mean for God or against God. To be for Christ or against Christ. To be in Christ or to be apart from Christ. That's what matters. Even the Jews, when they received circumcision, was that it? This is like baptism. I know people in the Christian church like to fight about baptism. Oy vey. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 16 and 17. Just go read it. If you were circumcised of the flesh, did that, was that the ultimate thing? That you were circumcised in the flesh? No. No. The Old Testament and the New Testament says you have to, it's a circumcision of heart. This is a Romans chapter 2. One is a, Jew, a person is a Jew who's not one outwardly, but one what? Inwardly. You love God and you love God people. You're born again. The natural man is all over the place. We look like this and my family looks like this and you look like that. And then we don't love. These people did it. We, we are not these people. We are not these people. We're called to live radically. And not only do people make these physical markers, they go deeper. They go deeper than this. And you know this. They're going to say, from those physical markers, you're going to delineate and categorize people, but also... The physical markers will show you that they have moral distinctions. Their character distinctions, intellectual distinctions, inward distinctions. So they'll say one group, so they go beyond outward. They're going to say people of this race, you have one race that's prone to being active, one race that's prone to being lazy, one race that's prone to being intellectual and loving and kind and those kind of things, and another race that's warlike and one race is pre Opposed to, to drunkenness and another race is predisposed to thievery. You see what I'm saying? And even among people that look the same. I went to Ireland many years ago. I'm three quarters Irish and a quarter German. Whatever that means, but I am. So I, I went to, to, to Ireland. And where I'm from in Boston, if you're Irish, I've said this before, if you have any Irish in you, man, you go up on the scale. They just think you're the cat's meow if you're Irish. I went to, I, I went to Ireland and I'm walking around looking at everybody. I'm like, they look as Irish as Patty's pig. These are like the people that I grew up around. Now here's, I'm going to ask you a question. So the Irish and the Scottish and the British, do they look like totally different or what? No, no. But here's, here's where the, the business of distinctions even gets nuttier. The Irish are stiff, the, the English are stiff upper lip. This is their interior disposition. They're the Stoics. And what are the Irish? What's the, what's the disposition, the internal disposition of the Irish? They're all a bunch of drunken poets. They lay around drinking Jameson's and, and reading sad poetry. And what about the Scottish who look just like the Irish? What are they doing? They're killing everybody. They're, they're the feisty fighters. So taking folk that look like the same stock, oh, they're totally different. Let me ask you a question. If you go to China right now, who are the people that are raping and robbing Chinese folk? Who, who's doing it? Chinese folk. If I go to Africa, who's killing the other Africans? African folk. If I go to any country on the planet, who's hurting the other people there? The people that they live among. The people that they live among. You could live among this most homogeneous people on the planet and you better lock your door. Who killed Jesus? 
Who was the first, what, what class of people first condemned Christ to die, Jews or Gentiles? Jews. Jewish people condemned the Jewish Messiah to be murdered. And Pontius Pilate, did he at first want to kill Christ? No. So when, beloved, I know this is a big, a big macro, and you may be, well, I don't want to talk about this. I do wonder sometimes how much, I think it's silly, and I think it's, well, I know it's sin. Tribalism is, I guess, what I would call it. Racism, certainly, but tribalism. Only me, only my folk, the people that look like me, sound like me. Is that the gospel? Is, is, that, is that the New Testament? No, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. For God so loved the what? I think it says the world. So, we have this thing, and you may say, well then, Pastor John, you don't believe in race. That's kind of exactly right. Um, I believe um, the only distinction, as I say, is <laughs> are you in Christ or out of Christ? And if you are in Christ then as we read from our secondary standard, then you're my brother and my sister. You're my brother and my sister. If I send you to Uganda and you were raised where I was raised and you go to Uganda and the people there have more melanin than you have and they love Jesus, they're your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's how it works. That's what we're looking at. So now let's look at what we find here by way of some of the, the micro view. In I read a larger portion of the passage that I, I wrote. We have the preaching of Christ by the Apostle Paul, Jewish. He was, a, he was a Pharisee. Read Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 14. Jew of Jews. He takes along with him Barnabas. What was Barnabas' other name? Do you remember what his name was? I think uh, Acts 4 and Acts 11. Joseph. Joseph the what? He's a Levite. So you have, you have a Pharisee who has been born again in Jesus Christ, who used to hate Christ, now he loves Christ. And he used to hate Gentiles. He tried to kill them all. He didn't want them to have the gospel. And now he loves them. He sends them the gospel. Then you have this Jewish guy, Joseph, the, the, the Levite. And now he's, he's Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And they're out there preaching Jesus. And just prior to this passage, they've gone to uh, Antioch, Syria. They've gone down to Cyprus and the island. They're back up. The place that we're looking at is Antioch, Pisidia, something like that. I'm butchering the name. But it's back up in southern Turkey. Are these Jewish lands or Gentile lands? They're Gentile lands. So you have these Jews who believe in Jesus. And they're traveling around. And they're traveling around. And they're going specifically to Gentile places. Specifically to talk to Gentiles about Jesus being the Christ. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Why not just stay with your own people. Get on the internet. Send some flyers in the bulletin or something in a balloon and then have like those folks talk to those folks. Why, why go? What does Jesus say in the Great Commission? Go everywhere. The Christian religion is an evangelical religion. We, we cannot shut our mouths. We must open our mouths. You may say, well, that's kind of obnoxious. I feel bad for you. Jesus says to do it. And, and if you don't open your mouth and you have the words of eternal life, what, what are they not hearing? There's hope. There's hope. It's not being genteel. It's not being nice. It's being cowardly. Jesus says, do it. And they do it. And they go everywhere. And what are they getting for their troubles? A beating. 
And what are they doing after they get beating? They're rejoicing. Because there are some people that are beating them and some people that are receiving them. So they go out simply because Jesus has said so. That's important as Christians. And we find part of the practice is when the Apostle Paul would go anywhere in these Gentile lands looking to talk to Gentiles, he'd first go to the Jews. This was his ordinary practice. He would first go to the Jews at a Jewish synagogue on, on the Sabbath. Why would he do that? That's where the people are. Why do you find the New Testament epoch, they're going from city location to city location to city location? Because that's where the people are. If you're a fisherman, you don't go fishing in a, in a cow farm, cow field. You go fishing where the fish are. So when you see, why are they doing it? There's a method to their madness. We need people. And so Christianity is, we're fishing for people. We're fish, we go to the lost people that God the Holy Spirit would, would draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. But they go to the Jew first. And the Bible says in our passage that it was required to go to the Jew first. Paul will say in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, Jesus says he came for the last sheep of the house of Israel first. But then he says, you go from the Jews, you go from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria. The mixed-up Jews, they were kind of half Jew, half, half Gentile, which makes you a full Gentile. But the, and then he says, go, go to the world. So he, he tells them to go out Jew first, Gentile next, and they do it. And I, don't, I know this is going to sound simple. And I don't mean to in, insult anyone. It is a bad thing to be a professing Christian and to say this. Oh, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. But I, I just don't have any intention to obey him. Particularly when he says something that my flesh doesn't want to do. Sometimes Christians reason like this. What I want to do is what God wants to do. What I don't want to do, God doesn't want me to do. You've got to flip that critter around. You're forgetting yourself. You don't know the program. The program is you're not the Lord and he's not your cosmic bellhop. He's the Lord. <laughs> what he wants to do, we're supposed to want to do. What he says do, even when our flesh says, I don't want to do that. We're supposed to say, you know what? Forgive my not wanting to do it. Help me do it. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, why do you, to Christians, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what? Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what? Go ahead and say it. You'll obey my commands. You know what antinomianism is? I get accused of being a legalist and an antinomian at the same time. It's like, it's just completely nutty. <laughs> Antinomian means anti-law. I mean, you're just on, you're, I was going to say you were on crack. I shouldn't say you're on crack. What kind of person would, would call a person an antinomian and a legalist at the same time? It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, a lot of Christians are antinomians. they just like, oh, I've been saved. I said the sinner's prayer at like 6 to 12 at the, at the camp. And then I live like Sheol. Well, you will know them by their what? By their fruits. So the servants of Jesus obey Jesus. They go to people that maybe they don't even, maybe they don't even want to go. And Jesus says, he's a chosen instrument of mine and I'm going to show him how much he must what? Suffer for my name's sake. Go into these four. And is, it, is it a difficulty to be one kind of person and go to another kind of person to tell them about the Lord Jesus? You're not around your folks. You're not going to see your mom at Christmas time. You can't see your grandmother. You're not getting the turkey. You're not hearing people that sound like you. None of it. But they go out of obedience to the Lord. 
This is huge application for the way we do marriages, for the way we vote, for how we conduct ourselves, what we watch for entertainment. This is huge. They're submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So they go. So they go. So they go to the Gentiles. They go to the Jews. And when they go to the Jews, they say, they quote from uh, Isaiah, I think 42 and 49. So, well, God has, has, has called us to be a, a light to the Gentiles. I'm going to say something. I used to be a different kind of Christian. Of course, I've been everywhere as a Christian. When I was a different kind of Christian, I thought this. I thought God had plan A for the Jew and, and plan B for the Gentile. I thought when plan A, Jesus comes, the Jews say no. God says, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe this. We have to switch to plan B. <laughs> this is what I believed. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it's so silly. Can a sovereignly perfect God have plan B? No, no, there's no plan B. So when the Jews said, no, thank you much to Jesus, did that catch God by surprise? No, there, there's, there's, there's no plan B. It's always been according to the word of God that the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, bless how many families of the earth? All of them. Thank you very much, whoever said all. Thank you very much. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 28, Galatians chapter 3. In Christ, no male, no female. What is this sound I'm hearing? In Christ, no male, no female. We're all what? One in Christ Jesus. And I already quoted the, Roman, the Revelation chapter 5 and the Great Commission and Acts chapter 1. It is, it is replete. The promise has always been that he's going to bless every... Now, are you saying, well, Pastor John, you sound like a flaming Arminian. Don't you believe in election? Of course I believe in election. I don't have the list. You don't have the list. He says, everyone, am I saying universal redemption? Of course I'm not saying universal redemption. But what, I, what am I saying from this passage? Jesus Christ is for African folks. Jesus Christ is for Chinese folks. Jesus Christ is for Norwegian folks. And what is he going to do? Make us one family. Am I saying that he, it's been appointed for him to die for the sins of every single humanoid on the planet? No. Am I saying that he's going to save from all of the families of the earth? Yes. He keeps the list to himself, by the way. Okay. So, we, we see the preaching of Christ goes out. Now, one of the things that we find is, um, I was a carpet cleaner for 10 years in Tallahassee, and so I was in a lot of people's homes. And you know the, the painting, Holman, the very fam famous painting, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And you have a picture of Jesus, he's standing at the door of the garden, Revelation chapter 3, and he's knocking. So when I would go into different folks' homes, you would go in and you would see, like, wow, he kind of looks like a, Latin American Jesus, you would, oh, he looks like a Middle Eastern Jesus, and then you would say, well, he looks like an African American Jesus knocking at the door. And so depending upon the person that lived there, they all had different, the same painting, same thing. Beloved, when we realize that Christ is for the nations, there's no one particular group that can say, he's our Jesus. Oh, no, 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 he's not your Jesus. He's Jesus. He's Christ for sinners. The whole, the whole planet. We can't claim him. We can't own him. And so these Jewish servants of Jesus were not out trying to make socio-political Jews. What were they trying to do? Win people for Christ. Remember, um, Paul says, in, uh, is it, it's either first or second, but it's, it's, it's in the book of Corinthians. It's a chapter 9. Chapter 9. He says, when I go to the Jews, I make myself a what? A Jew. When I go to the Gentiles, I make myself a what? 
a Gentile. What is he saying there? So in the external things, in the non-religious things, he seeks as much as he can. Again, non-religious, so he's not sinning. He's going to defer to those cultural distinctions. And he's going to respect those cultural distinctions so that he can do what? He can win them for Christ. Who is the guy? Oh, boy, it'll come to me. He went to China. Um, oh, he grew the pigtail. It'll come to me. He was from England. He was a Yorkshireman, 1800s. Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor. Thank you very much. So Hudson Taylor. <laughs> Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor did the exact thing. Here you have a man from Yorkshire. He's from England, 1800s, middle 1800s. He goes to China. He has a passion to reach the Chinese, the lost, for Christ. They're all worshiping whoever they're worshiping. And he wants to win them to Jesus. So what does he do? He says, oh, this is what I'll do. He does a Paul. This is unheard of in his day. You Englishmen don't do what he did. What did he do? I'm not going to wear the thing. I'm going to wear the robes. You know what he did? He grew a pigtail. He grew a big old pigtail. And then what did he do? He ate Chinese food all day long. Clothing, hair, food. And the other English guys were going, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? He said, no. I am going to defer and I'm going to respect their culture. I'm going to respect their dress, their food. It's not religious. These things don't commend us to God. Why? So I can gain a hearing. So I can win them to Jesus. You agree with that or you disagree with that? Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, when the American preacher goes off to wherever he goes, Zimbabwe, is he off to make a, an American? Sadly, some of them are. But the Apostle Paul wasn't. Hudson Taylor wasn't. We want to win them for Christ. Now, you're going to say, well, Pastor John, aren't you reformed? Don't you know that people are dead in their sins and trespasses? Yes, I know that. That's Calvinism 101. I completely know it. I completely believe it. I could teach a whole class on it. Verse 48, those appointed to eternal life believed. I'm just going to say this. I don't want to pick on you if you're... But I'll say it. Election's not the gospel. Election's not the gospel. Predestination's not the gospel. If you go to a Reformed Presbyterian church and all they talk about is election and predestination, you, know to, you need to go to another church. So... The, the ministers, the apostles, didn't go out primarily, fundamentally preaching election predestination, did they? The answer is no. What did they go out preaching? Christ. Gentiles, are they hopeless? Are they dead in their sins and trespasses apart from Christ? Yes. Jews, apart from Christ, are they hopeless? Beloved, you know what the gospel is? The gospel comes to people who, apart from God in Christ, are utterly, utterly, utterly hopeless. And God comes and says, through the preaching of Christ, I'm going to give you hope. Well, how does that work? I'm going to give you a quick lesson on predestination. This is for my hyper-Calvinists. Hyper-Calvinism is eternal justification. Put that in your pipe and whatever. Salvation plan from eternity. Salvation plan from eternity. Elected from eternity. Redemption, salvation procured in time. Christ dies on the cross. Redemption, salvation applied when we're converted. God gives what he requires. You must be born again. He makes us born again. How? Through the preaching of the word. That's why we preach. Many years ago, I've said this before, I preached a sermon, Christ, believe in Christ, be saved. 
And an old man met me and said, you made one mistake in, in the sermon today, Pastor. I said, only one? He said, if you don't know Jesus, you said, you said, if you don't know Jesus, then you repent of your sins and you believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. I said, guilty as charged. He said, ah, Pastor, they're dead in their sins and, and, and their trespasses. I said, ah, Father, that's not my business. My business is just to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, live. It is God's business to make them alive. We are to be the most active people under the sun with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't deny election, but I don't deny that God uses means. How does he bring these people to Jesus? How does he give them hope? How does he give them eternal life? Through sending gospelers out. And then the response. There's only one or two responses to Jesus. I don't believe. Or I do believe. And we find something about the don't believes. The don't believes don't want other people to believe either. I'm going to speak to the young people. If you young people know folks that are living in open sin, I'm going to tell you a little something. They don't want you to walk right. They don't want you to... People that are not walking right, they don't want you to walk right either. They don't. People that are living in filth and sin, what do they want for you? You to live in filth and sin. People that are enslaved by the devil, people that are enslaved by sin, don't want other people to be set free in Jesus. This is a spiritual business. But I'm going to say this. The love of God in Christ is stronger than the hatred of of Satan. And for us, as Christians... The love that we have for people is stronger than any hate they may have for us. And we give Christ away, and we give Christ away, and we give Christ away. And we pray that God the Holy Spirit would make them our mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers in Christ. And even in the suffering, Christ's people have great joy. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.